0: Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts. It is a passage that joins a story which is already in progress. It's a story that starts way back at the beginning of the 10th chapter of Acts. It's one of the longer chapters in the New Testament. There at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, we meet a man named Cornelius, who I was telling the children about. Cornelius is a Roman centurion, a man who appreciates the Jewish tradition and has learned about Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people, but is not Jewish himself. An angel visits Cornelius there at the start of the story and instructs him to send a group to retrieve the disciple Peter and to have Peter come and visit him in his home. Many miles away in the city of Joppa, meanwhile, Peter is waiting for lunch one day on the roof of his home or the home where he's staying. And he has a vision. I've always imagined it as being one of those visions you get when you're really hungry and you're imagining all that you are going to eat. Peter has a vision that's a little odd, though. It's of this great sheet descending from the heavens. And on the sheet, are four-legged animals of all kinds, and reptiles and birds. Peter, being a good Jewish believer, a man of the faith, he knows the rules of what is clean and what is unclean, and he says, Lord, I could not possibly eat what is on this sheet. And there are those well-known words to many where the voice of God presumably replies, saying, Peter, what God has made clean... You must not call profane. Cornelius's posse reaches Peter's home and Peter goes with him back to visit with Cornelius and his household. And when he arrives, his host explains to him the visit of the angel. And suddenly it becomes clear to Peter what his vision was all about. And he begins a sermon, a beautiful and eloquent sermon. Just as he's really getting going, something happens. And that is our story this day. Let us listen once more for a word from God as we pick up the story of Peter and Cornelius in the 44th verse of the 10th chapter of Acts. While Peter was still speaking these words, while he was still preaching, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Another word for anyone who was not Jewish. For Peter's followers heard the Gentiles speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So Peter ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Cornelius household asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, Befriending Interruption. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we have each entered this place today with plans. Plans not just for our days, but plans for our lives. God, we pray that in big ways and small, you might interrupt our plans this day. That you might help us to become attuned to where and how it is you are at work in the midst of lives that don't always go as planned. God, send your spirit now that the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There was a time not long ago when the most terrifying thing you could ask me to do on a Sunday morning was the children's moment. My son illustrated this for me earlier. I remember this Sunday at First Presbyterian of Atlanta where I was on staff during my time in seminary. I was outside the sanctuary collecting with the other worship leaders waiting to go in and the sanctuary sound person technician came and found me and began clipping a lapel mic on my belt. I asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm clipping a lapel mic on your belt. I explained that I only have lapel mics on my belt when I'm doing the children's moment, and I only do the children's moment when I know about it ahead of time and have hours to prepare, and I'm not doing the children's moment today. He directed my attention to the bulletin, where, in fact, printed quite neatly by the words, children's moment, was the name Alan Dyer. The thing that terrified me about the children's moment wasn't so much the adults in the sanctuary watching me do the children's moment, it was the children themselves. You see, kids don't care how long you prepare for the children's moment. Their questions will sometimes take your note cards where you have neatly organized your children's moment and they will burn them to the ground. (laughs) Some, some children will even interrupt you while you're speaking. My strategy back then gradually became to keep my head down, to not make eye contact, and to... (laughs) At all costs, avoid interruptions. You know, thinking back on that experience makes me feel for Peter in our passage this morning. Peter, you see, is taking a tremendous risk. He is taking a step of faith in the truest sense of that word by visiting Cornelius. He is making this trip based solely on the faith that the vision he has had is one given to him by God. A vision of God's love that is suddenly far more expansive than what thousands of years of tradition has taught Peter to this point. Can you imagine the knot in his stomach? as he began preaching that sermon that day, as he began sharing his vision of a gospel that was far bigger than what any of them had known or thought possible to exist before. And just as he really gets going, he's interrupted. The Holy Spirit Interrupts Peter. Like a three year old on the second step of the chancel whose voice gets loud right as you're about to make your point, the Holy Spirit interrupts. The first verse of our reading today says that when Peter was still speaking, The Spirit fell upon all those who heard his message, and everyone there was astonished. You know, for me, the astonishing thing of this story is the interruption itself. I think the interruption in this story is the very point of the story. Everything this story wants to teach us about faith and God, about who it's for and where it leads and how we should respond, is packed into this one sermon disrupting moment. Now, before any of you get any ideas about disrupting this sermon, I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a friend I had in college who had a 50-year plan. Now, many of us have plans, but they sort of live loosely in our heads. Maybe we outline them one day on paper. This friend took it to a different level. He had a laminated document that was rolled up like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when you unfurled it, it stretched about 15 full feet. And on this roll of paper, he had neatly detailed out almost every future plan he had for his life. He had on there the years he would advance and what he would be advancing through in his career He had roughly planned out the time when he would get married and when children would be born. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, he even had proposed names for his children. He had gone into so much detail that he planned out the spots that he and his family would vacation for the next 50 years. And I remember still being slightly offended by the fact that the Dyers never appeared on those vacation plans. It's funny, but it's also true for all of us in a way. I doubt many of us have taken it to that length where you have mapped out every year of your future life for the next 50 years, but we all expect in our own ways, we all want at least life to happen on a linear track. We want life to unroll before us tidy and predictable and happy but the reality of course is that life is really full of interruptions i mean no 50-year plan can account for the career that dead ends five years before you planned your retirement No 50-year plan can account for the baby that doesn't come as quickly as you had hoped, or for the heartbreak of relationships that didn't or couldn't last. No 50-year plan can account for the ways that youthful, college-age confidence inevitably begins to yield to the worries of adult life. To the sudden recognition that your choices have a very real impact on the lives of others. No plan can account for the major car crash or the minor fall that leads to a lifetime of discomfort and pain, or for the sick child, or the sick parent, or the sick spouse, or the sixth self. No plan can ad- adequately capture what it's like when grief and despair and loneliness happen. But even so, we're awfully good at spending a lot of our lives trying to avoid interruptions. We avoid certain people or topics or places that we think might interrupt the flow of our day. We keep self help books on how to manage our calendars and minimize distractions at the top of the bestseller list. We install apps on our phones and computers to block access to time wasting websites. But you know this story. This story, the story of Peter and Cornelius and the Holy Spirit, it makes me wonder if what we should really be doing is spending more of our time befriending, befriending our interruptions. I love that quote on the back of the bulletin this morning. You're welcome to read it whenever. It basically says this. It says, if we let them, if we lit them, life's interruptions can lead us to deeper living because they can remind us that we are more loved than we know. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever befriended an interruption and come to find that you are more loved than you know? Now, I want to be clear. I'm not proposing that The solution to interruptions is to start looking at life through rose-colored glasses or being the one who tries to find the silver lining in every horrible situation. Rather, befriending interruptions, I think, is more about accepting the invitation to notice how the somethings or the someones we did not expect and oftentimes did not want are sometimes the very things that reveal to us just how loved we are. Befriending our interruptions means noticing how the unsolicited meal on the doorstep that shows up the day after the diagnosis or the divorce or the death is not just there because someone thought you might be hungry. Befriending our interruptions means noticing how the compassionate ear on the other end of a tearful phone call is more than just a friend being a friend. It means noticing how the person who remembered your name after seeing you in church for the first time the week before is something other than just a stranger being nice. The whole point of the story is the interruption. Because the interruption in this story is what reveals to both Peter and Cornelius that they, and indeed the whole world, this is a hinge story in Acts. I preached this last sermon two weeks ago on the widening circle. This is a widening circle moment in Acts. This interruption is what reveals to the whole world, you and me included, that we are all more loved than we ever knew. Loved so much that before Peter can even finish his well-thought-out and perfectly delivered sermon, before Cornelius or any other person in the room can utter a single word of faith, before any of them, For any of us can do a single thing to deserve it. The Holy Spirit, God's love, God's claim is poured out on them. William Sloan Coffin was this pillar of 20th century Christian preaching. He was the longtime pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City. The Riverside Church has this sanctuary that really could be compared to some of the great Gothic cathedrals of Europe. And it was in that sanctuary that William Sloan Coffin would baptize these tiny infants and every infant who William Sloane Coffin baptized, he would say to them the old words of an ancient liturgy from the French Protestant Church. He would hold their heads over the baptismal font and he would wash them in water, saying to them, For you, little child, Jesus came into the world. For you, he ministered to the outcasts and to the alone. For you, he healed the sick and he raised the dead. For you, he preached good news of God the Father and of the coming kingdom. For you, he suffered the loneliness of Gethsemane and the agony of Calvary. For you, little child, he died, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. All of this for you, little child, and you know nothing of it. And so the words of scripture are fulfilled, he would conclude. We love because God first loved us. You know, the children's moment is no longer the most terrifying thing you can ask me to do on a Sunday morning. In fact, if I were to pick, I would say that it is the thing I look forward to the most every Sunday morning. Because the presence, the voices, but especially the interruptions of those children, they remind me of this story. That even when I don't remember the story, even when someone doesn't know the story at all, even when our 50-year plans fall apart at the fifth hour, even when the interruptions seem too much, even before any of us can do anything to deserve it, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the word of God is fulfilled that we love because God first loved us. Friends, friends, what good news could possibly be more astonishing than that? In the name of the Father, and of the Holy Spirit, and of Jesus Christ, his Son, Amen.